Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to see all of you here today. Good to be here. Good to be inside this frigid morning. Uh, but today we get the <clears throat> get the privilege of starting a new series, uh, and this series is called "The Good Life." I think everybody, each and every one of us, wants to have a good life. And you and I may uh, have differing ideas about what that good life looks like, uh, but all of us want to have a a good life. And over the next, um, including today, six weeks, uh, we will be studying God's word and seeing what God has to say about how we can have a good life. And I think we'll find um, that maybe that looks a little bit differently than what we we might think uh, looks like a good life as well. We really only have five more weeks after today, and we will have gone through all of Core 52. Um, Spent the last year uh, building up our Bible IQ, and I pray that uh, Core 52 has been a a blessing to you. But this this last series is a study from the Sermon on the Mount. And with with exception for today's memory verse, all of the next five memory verses will be from Matthew chapter 5 through Seven. And while our verse isn't in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, we will actually still find ourselves there as we talk about today's topic. Overwhelming worry. And so I have a question for you as we begin. Have you ever felt worried? Of course you have. Who hasn't, right? Everybody worries. That's a silly question. Today's memory verse is Philippians chapter 4 verse Six, and we'll get into it in a little bit, but I found out this week that this verse is the most highlighted verse in, in Bible apps on your phones and on your tablets. Not John 3.16, not Matthew 28, not Psalm 23, but a verse about worry. Because everyone worries. Everyone experiences anxiety. And maybe this morning you're already feeling a little worried about the outcome of a particular football game happening later today. Uh, I got a new GPS watch uh, for my birthday back in August, and uh, I really love it. I use it a lot while I'm mountain biking. Uh, it's got all the bells and whistles. It has the heart rate monitor and the step counter. Uh, I can look up the weather. I can listen to music through it, and it can help me track uh, my sleep and, and your calorie intake as well as your water intake. But it also has a notification for when you are feeling stressed. And the only time that I've gotten this notification and is whenever I've been watching the Sooners play football. And so my watch vibrates and says, your stress level is unusually high. Relax with the breathing activity. We have a handful of Charlie Brown books at home that Rhett enjoys reading through, and, and we enjoy watching a Charlie Brown Christmas every year. But Charlie Brown seems like someone who worries a lot. I found this little, uh, little clip online this week. Maybe you can relate. Linus says, you look kind of depressed, Charlie Brown. And he responds, I I worry about school a lot. I also worry about my worrying so much about school. My anxieties have anxieties. And so maybe you're worried about your health or the health of a family member. Or maybe you're worried about your kids and the world they're growing up in. Are Are they making good decisions? Will their faith continue after they graduate? Maybe you're worried about a situation at work and you're not quite for sure how it's going to get resolved. Or maybe you're worried about the state of our nation, the state of our economy, the political divide that that seems to be growing further and further apart. Maybe you're worried about getting into the right school or choosing the right degree or landing the right job. 
According to research, 32% of teens have suffered from an anxiety disorder in the last year. 70% of teens, when they look at their peers, say that depression and anxiety is a major issue in the life of their friends. 18% of adults admit to having debilitating anxiety, not just a little bit of worry, but where you can't eat and can't sleep and, and that worry causes you to not be able to focus and it controls much of their life. 59% is the increase of depression experienced in teens between 2007 and 2017. That's a pretty big increase. And I don't think it's a coincidence that in 2006, Facebook became public. You, you no longer had to be a college student to, to have access to Facebook. All you needed was an email. And then in 2007, a year after that, the iPhone was released. We've spent the better part of a year living through a global pandemic, and that only adds to the list of things to worry about. But I think that worry is a pandemic all on its own. And I think if you're honest, there are days or weeks or even seasons where overwhelming worry permeates your thoughts. And it's not like it's something we choose, right? We don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what, today I think I'm going to, to worry. Worry chases us down and it can overwhelm us. But thankfully, as we'll see today, Jesus and Paul and Peter all give us advice on how to handle worry in our lives. But here's the first thing that we need to understand. Worry is an enemy. Worry is an enemy to, to us. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25 says, worry weighs a person down, but an encouraging word cheers a person up. And throughout scripture, whenever we see the word worry, it literally means to, to choke or, or to strangle. And so that's why in Matthew chapter 13, in the parable of the sower, Jesus says this, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. And it's interesting, as we look at Matthew chapter six here in a moment, the verses right before our passage deal with, with money and it's almost as if Jesus is drawing a connection between, between money and, and worry. Worry affects our entire well-being. Physically, God made, a, God made each of us with a hormone called cortisol. We call it the stress hormone. But it functions like an alarm. It fuels our body's flight or fight instincts. And so whenever our bodies experience something negative, cortisol kicks in and helps our bodies know what to do next. And appropriate amounts of cortisol are helpful. But if we're always worried and always stressed, too much Cortisol is what causes a lack of sleep or, or causes headaches or high blood pressure and, and it can eventually lead to some pretty serious health issues. Emotionally, the more stressed or anxious we are, the harder time we have dealing with negative emotions that may arise. Spiritually, we could say that worry comes from a lack of trust. John 14 verse one says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Author D.A. Carson says the root of worry is unbelief. And then finally, mentally, in our chapter this week, Core 52, Mark says this, worry is a battle of the mind. What we focus on will determine the direction our thoughts go. Neuroscientific research has given us the fascinating insight that protein branches hold our thoughts. 
In a real sense, thoughts create real estate in our brains. The more we dwell on a thought, the larger the constellation of proteins becomes. We give our space and place to the thoughts we allow to dominate our brains. I don't think that I have to convince you that overwhelming worry isn't ideal. It doesn't fit in with the good life that God has in store for us. And so that brings us to our passage this morning from Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to pick things up starting in verse 25. Here's what it says. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make, thing, make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I think if we were to do a social survey of those listening to Jesus preach on that day, I, I think worry would be high on the list of difficulties they were facing. You see, Jesus is a good teacher. He knows his audience. And they, they are a people filled with worry. And so he speaks directly to their worry. Many of them living paycheck to paycheck, not sure if they will be able to feed their families tomorrow. Their kids are growing out of their clothes faster than they can get new ones. Much like those living in a third world country today or even impoverished parts of our country, basic daily needs were a daily source of anxiety. Yet Jesus commands them not to worry. And I think it's easy for us to read this passage and think that, that our worries are, are greater or more significant which in turn may, may cause us to dismiss Jesus' commands. Well, that's easier said than done. What Jesus is talking about doesn't even begin to compare what I'm dealing with. But I think the truth is still the same. Jesus commands us not to worry. And whenever Jesus says, don't worry, I think he's talking about this idea of overly obsessing about things that we cannot control overly obsessing about things that we cannot control. And maybe you noticed in the passage, it says, do not worry about tomorrow. And, and that's the thing, isn't it? Worry is usually fixated on, on tomorrow. I don't really know how this will happen, but here's how it could happen. And then we start cycling through every possible outcome in our minds. I heard a preacher say this in regards to worry. We sacrifice today's peace on the altar of tomorrow's worries. We sacrifice today's joy on the altar of tomorrow's worries. We sacrifice today's rest on the altar of tomorrow's worries. There was a study at Penn State University performed on people who are prone to worry. They gave each of them a journal and said, for the next 30 days, anytime a worry enters your head, write it down. Keep a detailed log. 
And then after 30 days, here's what they discovered. 91.4% of the things we worry about never actually happen. And then even as I read that, some of you are thinking, yeah, but what about the other 8.6 that could happen? Jesus commands us not to worry. And then he draws our attention to two things. First, he says, consider nature. He says, look at the birds. Look at the lilies of the field. And I think if Jesus were teaching today, he would say, consider your dog. This is Nala. Uh, She is a three-year-old golden cockadoodle, which is a fancy way of saying that she's a mutt. And uh, she actually just got her hair cut so she doesn't look like an old man dog at the moment. Um, But Nala, she's not not worried about tomorrow. All she's interested in is, is chasing her tail and protecting our yard from invaders like squirrels and rabbits and getting way up in your business so that she can get some love. Dogs live for today and aren't concerned one bit about tomorrow. And then Jesus reminds us, consider nature and that God will provide. Aren't you far more valuable than the birds and the flowers? Your heavenly father already knows all your, all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Remember earlier when we said that worry, was, uh, worry came from a lack of, of trust? Jesus asks in verse, verse 30, why, why do you have so little faith? God, God's got you covered. And Jesus commands us not to worry. And so this morning I want to give us three practical steps that we can take to move away from worry and towards the good life. And we find those from Philippians chapter four. Paul, who wrote Uh, wrote Philippians from a a prison cell is writing to Christians who are facing persecution. And he says this, chapter four, verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Not just when things are good, not when things are okay, but rejoice always. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. And so three things that we can put into practice if we want to move away from worry and towards a good life. The first one is this. Put down your phone. Put down your phone. I'm a big proponent of technology and I appreciate a lot of what it allows us to do. But, uh, but I'm preaching to myself this morning. We are inundated with worry through news media and social media. We get sucked into playing the comparison game. And isn't it annoying how easy it is to find yourself mindlessly scrolling, distracted from more important things in life? And Paul says, whatever is true and noble and right, whatever is pure and lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And I think if we were asked to pick something that was true or noble or right, I don't think our phones or our favorite apps would make the cut. 
And I'm not saying that you can't find good things on, on your phone. I know you can. I, I love the fact that, that I can listen to, to podcasts or audiobooks while I'm driving and, and our family loves having access to, to just about every song known to man. But it's far easier to get sucked the opposite direction when we spend too much time with our devices. And I mentioned earlier the increase in depression among teens over the last 15 years. And I, I venture to say that that's probably, uh, probably rings true for adults as well. And, and there's still a lot of studies as to, to what all is causing some of that anxiety. But I think the prevalence of the phones in our pockets over that same time frame is a pretty big contributing factor. And so maybe whenever you go for a walk, leave your phone behind at your house. Or whenever you go out to eat, leave your phone in the car. Or whenever you go to bed, leave your phone in the kitchen. Day five of our Core 52 chapter uh, this week suggested doing a week-long media audit. How does your time spent on TV and social media and watching news and listening to radio compare to the amount of time you spend listening to Christian music or podcasts or going to church or reading your Bible? And I haven't done that yet, but I can already tell you it wouldn't, I wouldn't be too proud of the results. But I think that if we spend less time connected, maybe we'll spend less time with worry as well. So put down your phone. And secondly, pray about everything. Our memory verse for chapter 48 is Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. I've heard a preacher say that the road to peace is paved with prayer. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. A different translation says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And that word cast, it literally means to, to throw. Throw all of your worries on God's shoulders. Let him carry the weight. Preacher Scott Nichols said, Worry is pretending that my shoulders are broader than God's. How much more relaxed are you when you stop pretending that you can handle the worry and instead cast all your worries and concerns and troubles on God? Pray about everything. And then lastly this morning, put, put it on a list. Do we have any list people here this morning? I'm a person who enjoys a good list. Well, here's some homework for you this week. Uh, make a new list, and not a, not a list of the things that you're worried about, Instead, at the top, ask yourself this question. What am I grateful for? Mark Moore says that the greatest antidote to worry is gratitude. Philippians 4, 6, again, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done for you. And I think whenever we force ourselves to express gratitude, it takes the focus off of ourselves and, and we turn it towards God and, and towards others. And whenever we do that, Paul says, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Gratitude guards from worry. Maybe you've heard of a woman named Cory Ten Boom. She was a Holocaust survivor and a Christian. And because of her family's faith, uh, they were harboring Jews who were fugitives. 
And unfortunately, after some time, they were caught. And so Corey and her sister Betsy were sent to a concentration camp. They were thrown into barracks that were overcrowded with other women. It smelled like a mixture of mold and excrement. It was dimly lit. The air was thick and inescapable. And they weren't there for very long before they discovered something terrible. She writes about it in her book, Hiding Place. Here's what she says. We lay back, struggling against the nausea that swept over us from the reeking straw. Suddenly I sat up, striking my head on the bunk above. Something had pinched my leg. Fleas, I cried. Betsy, this place is swarming with them. They're everywhere. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? Show us. Show us how. It was said so matter-of-factly that it took me a second to realize she was praying. More and more, the distinction between prayer and the rest of life seemed to be vanishing for Betsy. Corey, she said excitedly, he's given us the answer. Remember, remember that scripture we read this morning? Where was it again? Read that again. We had read First Thessalonians that morning. I glanced down the hall to ensure no guard would catch us with a Bible and, and then read First Thessalonians 5.17. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey, that's the answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her, then around me at the dark, foul-aired room, such as, such as being assigned here together. I bit my lip. Oh, yes, yes, Lord, thank you. Such as what you're holding in your hands. I looked down at my Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord, that, that there were no inspections when we entered here. Thank you for all these women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, said Betsy, since we're packed so close, that many more will hear. She looked at me expectantly. Corey, she prodded. Oh, all right. Thank you for the jammed, crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you, Betsy went on serenely, for the fleas. And for the fleas? This was too much. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood between tiers of bunks and gave thanks for fleas. But this time I was sure Betsy was wrong. Over the next few months, Betsy and Corey began hosting church in their barracks. At first, Betsy and I called these meetings with great timidity, but as night after night went by and no guard ever came near us, we grew bolder. So many now wanted to join us that we held a second service after evening roll call. Outside our dormitory, we were under rigid surveillance, guards in their warm wool capes marching constantly up and down. It was the same in the center room of the barracks, half a dozen guards or camp police always present. Yet in the large dormitory room, there was almost no supervision at all, and we did not understand why. One evening, I got back to the barracks late from a wood gathering foray outside the walls, a light snow lay on the ground. It was hard to find the sticks and twigs with which a small stove was kept going in each room. Betsy was waiting for me, as always, so that we could wait through the food line together. Her eyes were twinkling. You look extraordinarily pleased with yourself, I told her. You know, we've never understood why we had so much freedom in the big room, she said. But I've found out. That afternoon, she said, there'd been confusion in her knitting group about sock sizes. And they, they needed the supervisor to come and settle it. But she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door and neither would any of the guards. And you know why? Betsy couldn't keep the triumph from her voice. Because of the fleas. That's what the supervisor said. That place is crawling with fleas. 
And Corey says, my mind rushed back to our first hour in this place. I remembered Betsy's bowed head, remembered her thanks to God for creatures I could see no use for. Some of us today have some pretty overwhelming worry in our lives. It's like a bunch of fleas that just keep biting. But God calls us to fight worry with gratitude, even for the fleas. And so this morning, as we think about ways that we can move from worry towards the good life, I think if we, if we put down our phone for a little while, and if we pray about everything, and if we put it on a list, make that list of things that we're, that we're grateful for, I think we'll begin to move in that direction. And so as we go from here this morning, may we be encouraged again by Paul's words from Philippians chapter four. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, we can so easily experience things that cause us to, to worry, that bring worry into, into our minds, into our lives. God, if we're not careful, that worry can overwhelm us. It can take control of, of our life. But God, you have, you have a better, better way, a better life that, that doesn't involve worry. And God, I pray that as we experience those things that we can be reminded to simply just give them over to you. Trust, God, that you are in control and that your way and your understanding is better than ours. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.